0: Well, this morning, we are going to continue our series. Uh, We've been studying 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8a, and this is the fifth week in just those five verses. And I know some of you have been saying, wow, are we ever going to get out of 1 Corinthians? But we've been studying something that's been called the perfection of love. We've been studying the picture of Christ in essence, because God is love. And the response overwhelmingly has been positive, that we've stretched our thinking, our lives, our minds have been challenged, and there's been a different challenge each week, and sometimes we look at some of these descriptions of love, and we, and we say, okay, I do that one okay, I do that well, and I can check that off. There's others that have been more challenging, and maybe we've done some soul searching over these last few weeks, and, and the Lord has helped us in these things. Last week as we talked, we, a reality emerged that love does not delight or rejoice in evil, right? And we also talked last week that love covers sin. So it doesn't delight in the sin, and then it actually covers the sin. And as I sat with that, even this week as I was preparing and kind of reflecting on last week, I wanted to bring a little in, more insight there that the reality is that sin, church, it affects us. It affects our souls. It affects us spiritually. It affects our bodies physically, and we'll see that. In fact, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll get there in just a moment. It affects us relationally, our friendships, our marriages. It it affects our relationship with our kids. It affects everything, and it affects us even financially at times. Sin is a bondage. Now, for Paul, love was the thing that the Corinthians needed most of all these areas. And we see that, that love was needed even in the point in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the church had been disobeying God, had been really been uh, dishonoring God in communion and the Lord's Supper, and we see that in chapter 11, verse 29, let's look at it. It says, For anyone who eats and drinks and recognizes, uh, without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So they were sinning, and what was happening, they were, ju- they were bringing judgment on themselves. That is why many among them were sick and weak, and a number of you had fallen asleep. There were people that actually had died because of their disobedience, because of the sin that was in their lives. I want to tell you, church, sin affects everything, and it can take control. And what I've learned is that all sin, it doesn't matter what it is, big or small, in our minds, all sin is a violation of love. Let me try to explain. Where there is sin, the answer is love. Now, in the Old Testament, there was the law of the prophets, right? Or the law, the scripture, the hundreds of rules to follow. You can read it in Leviticus and and in different areas in Deuteronomy. In the Pharisees, it's interesting that they knew it was impossible to meet all of the requirements. You could not physically meet all of the requirements, And they tried to trick Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. They came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest command? What is it that we should do if we're going to narrow it down? And they were trying to trick God, trick Jesus. And and Jesus, he wasn't going to be tricked. He said, no, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, love God, and then to love each other. And it's interesting that that's, you know, when we talk about connecting with God, connecting with each other, that's our mission here. That's where that's rooted, right in Matthew chapter 22. The point is, is that the law does not save us. The rules do not save us. Love does. It's love, church. And if you love God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and if you love your neighbor in a proper way, you will never sin. That's the truth, because you will do nothing to violate God or the other person. So the question is, how much love do we exhibit? And that's where we've been encouraging ourselves to take this list and say, okay, can I honestly evaluate myself against the definition or the description of love? And unfortunately, really almost shockingly, the Corinthians When they were measured up, they would have been deemed loveless in many areas. And we've studied this, we've mentioned these, but I'm just going to give them to you again. These are a lot of different ways that they failed in love. There were divisions and factions within the Corinthian church. That is a sign of lovelessness. They were fighting with each other, lovelessness, right? They were split over human teachers. Uh, one was following Paul, one was following Apollos, one was following Peter, one was saying, oh no, we're going to follow Christ, right? All of that division, that splitness was loveless. The friction, the anxiety, the calamity, the strife, you used to say, why, was all, why were all those uh, things seen in the church in Corinth? It was because they lacked love. There was sexual immorality. They were violating each other. There was pride, conceit. All of those things had a lack of love. In their liberty, they say, hey, we've got this liberty to live out freedom in Christ, which is beautiful, but they were loveless in that. They were exercising their liberty and offending other believers along the way. They were violating the Lord's Supper. All these things lacked love in their church in their lives and the point is they were loveless and the truth is that lovelessness is the characteristic at the core of every single sin when there's sin love is failing at some level and paul's saying look the answer here is love to be healthy and to be fulfilled it is love that is needed There's no Christianity without love. How many would say amen to that? There's no church without love. There's no ministry without love. Turn with me to first, actually, just make note of this. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 the ultimate goal is to love, right? And we cannot replace this love with just proper teaching or proper theology because how many know you can have the right knowledge but you could lack love. It's not our actions or activism, it's not our service. We could we can't replace love with uh, selective affections. And by the way, ignorance is not a substitute for love. See, God wants us to be healthy, he wants to be whole. And if you did a study, which I did just a brief study on the first around the New Testament, love is a component that is seen throughout Scripture. I want you to write these verses down. Let's go to that next slide. There's a bunch of Scriptures here, but I want to get you this picture. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, and just write down the, the references. You can look these up later. Paul says to the Colossian church, he says, put on love. 1 Corinthians 14, says, follow after love. Philippians 1, 9 says, that we are to abound in love. Hebrews 13, 1 says, continue in love. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 says, increase in love. You see the pattern here, right? 1 Peter 4.8, and we'll read this a little later too, says be fervent in love, and then it says to, that love covers a multitude of sin. Philippians 2.2 2 says to be consistent in love. Hebrews 10.24 says to provoke each other to love. 2 Corinthians 8.8 8 says be sincere in love. Church, the fact is, is when you read the New Testament, this is just a small sampling of, of the way to be healthy, to be positive, to be glowing, to be useful, as a believer, as a Christian, and we are to be known by our love. This is a big deal. And so we say, well, great. how does love work then? How do we exercise love? How is love seen in our love, in our lives? And I'm glad you're asking the question. And that's where we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to ask that you'd stand one last time as we read these verses. We've read them over the last couple weeks, and uh, we've done quite a bit of commentary in these. We're not going to take the time this morning, but I want to remind you that in these verses, it's 15 verbs, right? These are action-oriented. You can't have love without action. They're descriptions, really not a definition. It's not about emotion. It's about action. And let's look at what the Lord says. How does love work itself out in our lives? This is what it says. It says, love is patient. Love is kind." It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment. When I was growing up, I can't remember when, but I remember sitting in a service, being encouraged to, wherever it says love, to put my name, all right? So we would read, Ben is patient, Ben is kind, Ben does not envy, Ben does not bo-. you get the point. And the idea is, is from what I remember, and I was, was kind of debating all, this, all these five weeks, like, should I share this? you know, maybe, maybe not. How many have heard about people doing that? Maybe a few of you have. Okay. Well, I want to encourage you that that's the ultimate goal. That your life would reflect that God is love. We know God is love. God is the perfection of these things. That we would be striving in our lives to see these things evident in our lives. And how many know that's not easy, right? So love is patient. Love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, and is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, right? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and let's say this together. Love never fails. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are getting a hold of our hearts this morning. And God, I pray in the next few moments, God, that as we wrap up these thoughts, the really the crescendo as we're coming down the hill uh, off the mountaintop of these, of these descriptions, Lord, that you would help us to understand, help us to continue to get our minds around them, and we'll give you the praise, we'll give you all the glory for it, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thanks for tracking with us, and uh, we're excited about these last couple things the last four in this description have been described as the crescendo of these uh descriptions that love is always uh protecting always trusts, always hopes always perseveres and and last time (laughs) excuse me last time we said that when it says always it's really hyperbole it's really an exaggeration it's not always in the universal sense and so the example we gave last week is that when it says that love always protects, what it means to protect is that love covers sin like a blanket. It, it says a, it covers sin as a blanket as long as it can. And, uh, and at some point, you can't continue to cover sin. We understand that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says there's a time to expel the wicked brother among you, Right? We also looked last week at Matthew chapter 18, the Matthew 18 principle. And we looked at that and you can get online and listen. But when a brother sins against another person, how do you handle that? And the reality is, is that there will be offense. There will be struggle within the church and we need to know how to handle those things. Now the reality is that when we live our lives, right, we are all at one time or another going to live... Uh, less than at the top of our game, we're not perfect. There's going to be times we're impatient, or we're ir- uh, we, we get irritated, or we say something, or we throw something. I don't know. Uh, but the point is, when love is involved, you protect, you cover. And I love those verses in Proverbs chapter ten, verse twelve. Says, "Love covers sin. Love covers the iniquity." First Peter four eight. We read it earlier. It says that love. Is, uh, is the way to live, and it covers our sin. In fact, it doesn't expose, it doesn't condemn. Love always protects, and we talked about that last week, and by the way, I want you to write this down, and maybe in your uh, reading this week, Isaiah 53 is really a picture of love. I saw that this week as I was kind of debriefing from last week that God, Jesus, in his description in the prophetic word of Isaiah, it says that he carried our griefs, he bore our sorrows, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and what we see here is the redemptive work of The covering with love by our Savior, Jesus Christ. How many are thankful for the covering that Jesus provides for us? Amen? And so we say love always protects. The the 13th description is this, that love always trusts. And let's try to get our mind around this one. That love never tires of support. Love never loses faith. In the King James and some other verses or versions of the Bible, it says that love always believes. And really, that's the essence. That's probably the best description or the best best definition there. Love always believes. Thistleton, in his commentary, he says, yes, you always believe, but that doesn't mean that a Christian strips himself of wisdom and discernment and just throws those things by the way and says, oh, I'm just going to believe. No, No, it's not that at all. But it does believe the best about people. The idea is that love never loses faith. And church, I'm going to say something, and I know there's going to be people in your mind and all these things. I just want to help you to concentrate on yourself here that love is not cynical. Love is not suspicious. Well, we all know people that are the half, uh, the glass is half empty type people, right? <laughs> and there's excuses. They say, well, I'm just that way because this or that. I was raised that way. Or I've been burned before. Or someone let me down, so I'm more reluctant to trust. I'm more reluctant to believe. Or I'm just street smart. I'm cynical. They almost say that as if they're prideful, saying, well, I've got a little cynic- cynicism in me. If that's, <laughs> you know. But Listen. Love says, "I will always believe, I will always trust. Love does not go through life suspicious, suspecting of others. Our family, we watched uh, the uh, uh, Nancy Drew movie uh, on Friday night, and uh, you know, Nancy Drew is always sleuthing around, you know, you know looking for somebody uh, you know, uh, you know, looking for something evil or negative in everybody or everything, And that's not what love does. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Amen? And maybe you've been burned with leadership. you're saying, boy, I have a hard time trusting. I have a hard time believing. Do you know what love says? Love says that it will trust despite the past. You'll put those things behind you. Maybe you've you've seen a congregation refuse to believe the leadership, kind of the the opposite side, the reciprocal, right? (laughs) I'm sorry, Reagan. But the idea there is maybe the, the congregation says, well, you know, maybe the leadership has done something wrong. And say, you know, the, there's love. Love always trusts. Or I've certainly seen this where a pastor steps in and tries to cast vision and has to overcome the cynics, right? Love has to be seen in each of those cases. Love does not say, I told you so, Right? No one bats a 1,000 all the time. Therefore, love needs to cover the sin. Love does not look for the worse in people because when you look for the worse in people, how many know you're going to find it, right? And the result is that when you are a cynic in that way, you will become a miserable person. That's not God-honoring. And so try this on. If you look for the best, believing the best in others, trusting others, that people have good intentions, the result is going to be much different from the misery. It's going to be joy and peace. And the fact is you cannot be a cynic and love at the same time. Church, love is risking the potential of being hurt, of being burned. That's the truth. We have to become vulnerable. We need to risk being taken advantage of. But you say, man, is the risk worth it? Yes, the reward of love far outweighs the risk of getting burned. And I've been there and I've shared my story. And, uh, you know, even John mentioned this morning about pastoring. Uh, John was a pastor for many years over in the east side of the state and, and, uh, and pastored and was part of Teen Challenge. And, John, you know that sometimes in ministry it's tough. Pastor Pale, you know, we've talked about this. There are times when, when ministry is difficult and, and there are times where, where you feel like you, you just want to close in and don't let anybody close. But that's what the enemy wants. He would love to isolate us. He would love to isolate you. But love says, look, there's a better way to live. And I see it sometimes in parents who believe the best in their kids, no matter what. There's an example in our church, I won't call her out, uh, but she is uh, incredibly loving toward her son who continues to make mistakes, but continues to open her arms wide and says, man, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's what love does. It's seen in a spouse that believes the best in their mate, even though they've been hurt and betrayed. And maybe there's all kinds of things going on. I see it in friendships where you believe the best in the other person. And it's a beautiful picture of love. And some people say, well, man, it's, you know if, if I love like that, I'm going to get burned. And the reality is you probably will. But again, the reward of love far outweighs the risk. I read this 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 week that when you choose not to believe or not to trust, and if you choose not to walk in love, you are actually blinded by the truth. And it kind of caught me off guard that you're blinded by the truth. Well, you know, what that's saying is that the truth is you don't have all the facts in any situation. And so we need to love. Love covers. Jesus, with his disciples, he learned to trust. And he was a perfect example. James and John, they were described as having red-hot tempers. The sons of thunder, right? What about Peter? He was full of pride. Thomas was doubting. When I look at the 12 disciples, we're looking at 12 losers. But Jesus believed the best in them. There was no reason for Jesus to believe or to trust, yet he gave them the task of turning the world upside down for his sake. And some of you are saying, well, what about Judas, right? Cynics. Don't be cynical, right? <laughs> I read this this week as well. You will make the best out of the people that you believe in most. And so we need to believe in those that are around us, our friends, our family, the people that we're working with in business and at home and with our and, and in every area, we need to believe in people. Love believes in others. Church, that is huge. So love always protects, always trusts. Number 14, we'll move on. Love always hopes. And I'll tell you, this one is awesome. When you're out of faith, feeling like you can't trust, you can't believe, you can't protect anymore, what do you do? Then you hang on to hope. Church, as long as the grace of God is available, human failure is not final. I want that to sit in for a moment. As long as grace, the grace of God is available, human failure is not final. So the question is, is is there anything too hard for God? And the answer is no. If there's a God in heaven, then there is hope, period. There's hope. Let's face it. Let's be honest. There are situations where we have all felt hopeless, where faith has been diminished, we've been burned, we've been hurt, maybe we're worn out, and we've all been in times where only God can help. How, just show of hands real quick. How many have ever been there in your life? Every hand probably should go up. We've been there. But what love is, it's hopelessly optimistic. Not pie in the sky, but it's hopelessly optimistic. Love refuses to take failure as final. God wouldn't accept it from Israel in the Old Testament. Jesus wouldn't accept it from Peter after Peter messed up over and over. And Paul would not accept it from the Corinthian church. And that's why Paul is writing these words to the Corinthian believers. I, I really appreciate Matt Biller. He's a marriage and uh, family um, therapist and uh, the husband of Cindy Biller, by the way. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, we were praying for the kids and a big, long pause. Pete can't remember Cindy's name. No. Th- I, you're just praying, just letting the Holy Spirit really, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but Matt Biller, he, uh, this is, uh, goes back several weeks. We were talking about um, something we're riding on bikes, and uh, we, we do that quite a bit. And uh, he was telling me this, uh, this book that he read um, by Shanti Felden, Felden, I think is how you say it, F-E-L-D-A-N. Uh, Feldman? Is that right? Feldman. Whatever. Um, anyway, he <laughs> dug up the quote, and uh, he said it, the the book is called The Good News About Marriage, and it, it relates to marriage, this quote does, but it really, I believe, talks about hope in any area of our lives. He says this, or she says this, Chante, Uh eventually it was clear that there was a common denominator among marriages that survived. So it's talking about marriages that were suffering, that were a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, But there was a common denominator among marriages that survived versus those who failed, and the common denominator was hope. Everyone say hope. Hope. Now, there were many different failures or factors uh, in the mix, but an underlining theme was hope is how they described it as they studied it. Then it goes on. This is what I was trying to get to. If even one spouse has a sense of hope that things could change or simply a vision to keep going on no matter what it was amazing how often that one-sided commitment keeps the marriage afloat long enough to get it sailing again and i thought it was very interesting even if one partner it has hope the chances of survival was that much greater and sometimes i don't know about you sometimes one partner's hoping and then the other partner is not right and then sometimes that it flip-flops, you know? You say, Boy, there are moments where you want to give up and you say, forget it, I'm throwing in the towel. I know Jessica and I, when we first got married, we both at different times were like, What in the world have we done? What are we doing? But I'd be hopeful, Jessica would be not. Then it'd flip, right? And uh, and she would be hopeful, and I'd be like, What in the world have I done, right? But God helps us in that, and that's our story, and that, that's why that was really, really spoke to me. And when you think about that, and when you think about hope, we need to hope for our young people, amen? We need to hope for our families. We need to hope in the hardest cases that there are, because when you love, you hope. In the picture of that is seen in Luke chapter 15. We don't have the time to look there, but 11 through 32, it's a story of the lost son where the, the son goes off and um, squanders the inheritance, is lives, lives it all up ends up in the, in the feeding trough, eating with the pigs. He says, look, even, my, even the servants at my dad's house are treated better than this. He says, I'll go home and I will be a servant. And what does the son do? As the son is coming, what was the father doing? He was looking. He was searching. He was hoping for his son to come home. The picture of that just moves me, that that's what God does. And that's what, as believers, we need to do. We need to hope. We need to be looking for the lost son, for our lost kids, for our lost uh, relationships. We're heading into the holiday season. Hope that things will be restored. Don't go to the, your in-laws just miserable with low expectations. Be hopelessly optimistic, church. We need that. Love always hopes. And the 15th is this, that love always perseveres. And we'll kind of wrap up with this, that when love has protected, when it's trusted, it's hoped in people and still got burned, love at those moments perseveres. Love perseveres. It teaches us that you must be vulnerable to love. The fact is that people will do, they will say the unthinkable. And we've all been there. Maybe something slipped out of your mouth, or maybe you've received some of that lash, lashing, those verbal lashings. And listen, there will be setbacks, but love never gives up on people. Aren't you thankful for that? See, this description of love in particular, that love perseveres, is the reason why Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He didn't give up on them. In all those things that were wrong with the church, Paul, he was saying, no, I'm going to continue to invest. I'm going to continue to love. And that's why he's writing this letter. It bears the stamp of Paul's enduring concern and love for the people in Corinth. Aren't you thankful that Paul was obedient in that way to teach us? Paul would say, look, if you stop loving, you lose. If you stop loving, you will never win. In the King James, again, it says that love endures all things. And some of the verses talk about that. The root of the word is a military term. To be positioned in battle, the fiercest part of battle, love always perseveres. This is not some minor annoyance. That love perseveres through. It's the worst of the worst in the fiercest battle. When it seems impossible, love perseveres. Love says I will, uh, or love never says I will quit, or I've had it, or I'm through, no more, I give up, or I want nothing to do with you. Love doesn't say that. Love dies caring. Love never fails and if i had a dollar for every time i said love in this series in the last five weeks i'd be a rich man listen i am a rich man because we got the love of the lord three takeaways and you can write these down number one is when we study this idea of love it's a commandment right Uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. We'll get there in just a second. I want you to flip there so you get some time to read it. Love is a command. If it's not in your life, you're a zero. No matter what position you hold at church or in the community, no matter what people think about you, if you don't have love, you're nothing. And look at it, what it says in Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verses 8, we'll start there. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commands there may be, and there's hundreds of them, are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And the idea here is that this should be the norm, right? This should be the natural practice. This is the way that you should live. It's a commandment that we are to love one another. The second takeaway is this, that love is the result of the Spirit's work inside of us. Galatians 5, 16 through 22, it says to live by the Spirit. And if we live by the Spirit, we'll keep in step with the Spirit. And then it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. We see that in Galatians 5. But look just a couple pages back from Romans. Romans 5, five. what it says is very interesting, is that it's possible to love. Look what it says. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Church, I want you to see that these descriptions... These ideas of love, the only way that they can be evident in our lives is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your own strength. It's not something you muster up on your own. It's a surrendering to the Holy Spirit, saying, Okay, Holy Spirit, you move in my life. You have your way. It's a yielding, and God, in those moments, He helps us. So love is a command, but also it's a result of the Spirit's work. And the third thing is this that love takes practice. It takes practice. How many enjoy golf? A few of you guys enjoy golf. I know that. Uh, your practice swing, it takes a lot of work to perfect that, right? How many enjoy reading, right? You remember when the first time you read? Uh, you know, it's like the it, he she right and now you read a little more smooth than that and uh and uh and that's you know but it takes practice how many have ever played an instrument in school you're probably required in junior high or in elementary when you play an instrument it takes practice any sport, it's an analogy it takes practice it takes practice pra- practice practice to talk right it, pr- it takes practice to be to perfect any skill but what's interesting, even the best of the best, the best bowler in town doesn't shoot a 300 every game. Isn't that right, Rich level? No. And Rich has done five or six, seven 300 games, right? The best batter in the world right now doesn't even get to 50%, doesn't bat 500. And it's interesting, even the best musicians in the world uh, Jessica and I, we went to, and you may, you may disagree with our choice of music, but we went to a Yanni concert uh, a few years back. <laughs> I, know, I know, I would just open a can of worms, I know. Someone bought us tickets, we were obliged, or we had to go, we felt obligated. No, no, we, we liked Yanni, we had Yanni in our wedding. But, uh, but even at that concert, there were a few things, because it's live performance, that were off, and it's like, whoa, that was weird, or that, you know, something went wrong. Even with the best of the best, love takes practice. Love, you need to work it out, and it should become the norm. First John 4, 7 through 10, we've looked at this every single week. I want to look at it one more time, and I want to read this. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. That's the goal. That's the expectation, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, a substitute for our sins. We see a lot in those verses, but the idea is that this is the norm. This is what is expected, and it's going to take practice, and you start with little pieces, and you go, and then you go a little further, and we know that only God is going to do this perfect, but God has called us to strive for that type of perfection in our lives. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes this morning, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are patient with us and where we've struggled in the past. God, that you can do an amazing work, an incredible uh, miracle in our lives. You can provide and move through your love to save us, but Lord, then you can also change us from the inside out that where we can Show your love to others. And God, we just honor you. We lift you up for that reality this morning. Now, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you're here this morning and you don't know the love of Jesus, if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, or if you're away from God and you don't know if you if you uh, have Jesus inside of your heart, let me just take a quick second to say that the Bible, God's Word, says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That means no one in this room, no one in your life is perfect. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And the truth of that is, is universal. But the gift of God, the Bible says, is eternal life. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In church this morning, and uh, if you found yourself here today and you don't know the love that I'm talking about, if you don't know that love of Jesus, it's a gift that you receive. And you, all you have to do is ask for it. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I'd like to receive that gift. Would you just slip, slip up your hand where you are? I'm not going to embarrass you. not going to call you out. If that's you today, you're saying, man, I need that gift. I need that truth in my life. Anyone here today saying, I need that gift of salvation? Hmm. Okay. I don't see any hands this morning. Salvation. So let's look at our own lives. Let's just assume for the moment, which probably is not a good idea, but um, let's just assume that we are all believers here. We all have Christ inside of us. The reality of that is that you've experienced God's love at some measure. But this morning, I believe that God wants to fill you even more with His love And if you're open to that, saying, God, I need all of the love that you have for me to flow through my life, if that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. Say, man, I just need more of that love. I need that in my life. And what happens is as we receive that, then we become a conduit to be able to share that with others. And this morning, I believe that God is, is challenging you, he's challenging me to do something this season out of love, to be an example to your family, to cover, to protect, to always persevere, to always believe the best, to always love, to always trust, always protect Lord I know that these words from your word are a challenge to us And God I pray that as you've described that this is the greatest thing this is the most important thing love and that's why we've taken some time with these God I pray that you'd seal these in our heart. And God, that the journey that we're on, that we would see you move, we pray it in Jesus' wonderful name. Now, Lord, I pray as we go, that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. And God, I pray that, uh, that we would not be quick to forget these things. But Lord, they would change us. They would transform us. And God, we give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.